This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. This is the Hack podcast. About three quarters of Australian adults gambled in the past year. Could be anything. Lotto, scratchies, horse racing, sports betting, pokies. There are so many opportunities to have a punt in this country. Part of the culture, many talk about and say it's a big problem. Young Australians are most likely to gamble. So what happens when you have it becomes an addiction and you realise it's ruining your life? We're going to be talking about the young Australians who are blocking themselves from gambling by signing up to a new register. Thousands have done it already. Will it work? That's coming up later. First, though. Hack. This is a major criminal investigation on Triple J. It's rare a story about mulch leads the news, but it's been one of the biggest stories in New South Wales this week. Mulch contaminated with asbestos has been found at dozens of places around Sydney. Parks, schools, even an aged care facility. So how has this happened? You might also be asking, what is asbestos exactly? I've heard of it, but I don't know much about it. How dangerous is it? In a minute, we're going to ask some of those questions to an expert. But first, here's April McLennan with a bit of an update. Have you ever been in some old, dodgy building and seen one of those signs hanging from the wall that says, warning, asbestos-containing material, cancer and lung disease, hazard, and you think to yourself, cool, I better not touch anything and get the hell out of here. A piece of asbestos cement sheet that's just sitting on the ground, it's not actually doing any harm. It's there, you can pick it up. So what happens if that asbestos becomes mixed up with recycled mulch? and is spread out at schools, supermarkets, churches, building sites, public parks, and even a hospital. Well, that guy you just heard from, Mick Lydon from Asbestos Solutions Tasmania, reckons that could be a bit of an issue. The problem is when it gets mechanically disintegrated, drilled, sawed, pulverised, when that fibre can turn into a microscopic fibre that then becomes respirable. That's, That's the real issue. But obviously it's been through the chipper. You don't know, it has been massacred up a little bit. And that's actually what's happened. Since January, testing has found asbestos-contaminated mulch in more than 40 sites. The first place it was picked up was a public park at Roselle, above a new road tunnel. But now it's been detected literally all over Sydney. Here's New South Wales Premier Chris Minns. This is a criminal investigation. And as a result of that, obviously the EPA, while conducting contact tracing of all the mulch, at the same time as they're doing that, securing sites, keeping the public safe, they're also progressing their criminal investigation. Unfortunately, mulch from New South Wales is now in the ACT. So they're running some tests too. And Queensland is also testing some of its mulch suppliers just as a precaution. So how did this happen? Well, the New South Wales Environment Protection Authority is investigating the entire mulch supply chain to try and figure that out. And so far, it's linked one company called Greenlife Resource Recovery Facility to all the contaminated sites. But in a statement, the company says it's not to blame and reckons something's gone wrong elsewhere in the distribution process. Greenlife Resource Recovery Facility takes its responsibilities extremely seriously in processing eco-friendly mulch. The recycled mulch is independently tested by a National Authorities Testing Australia approved laboratory. Independent testing shows GRIF's mulch did not and does not contain asbestos. 
This contaminated mulch is mostly made from recycled timber pallets. And while it's not yet known how exactly the asbestos ended up in the mix, Mick says he's heard instances of people dumping it illegally. People are looking to dispose of their asbestos cement sheet illegally because it's expensive to uh, to get rid of. You've got to double wrap it. You've got to do all the things that the EPA require. So your general waste that goes to the tip is heavily scrutinised. Even trucks have little cameras to see what rubbish goes in. But the green waste is not so heavily scrutinised and, and that's what people have found that loophole. If you live at any of these affected areas, you might have seen some parks or schools fenced off and temporarily closed while the investigation and clean-up is underway. Unfortunately, it's also meant that this year's Fair Day, part of Sydney's gay and lesbian Mardi Gras, had to be cancelled because it was meant to be held at one of the contaminated sites. But for the Swifties out there, there's been no contaminated mulch found at Olympic Park, where Taylor Swift's four Sydney concerts are being held. You're listening to Hack on Triple G. April McLennan there. We've got a message coming in from someone saying, I live in Glebe in Sydney and it could be in every park, garden bed, nature strip around my area. I've been living, running and picnicking here for years. It's really scary. Well, I just want to ask about the risk to people who might live in these areas or just in general with asbestos because I think a lot of younger Australians probably don't know as much about asbestos as we should. So let's get some of our questions answered with an expert. Peter Franklin is the Director of Occupational Respiratory Epidemiology at the University of WA. He's with us now. G'day, Peter. Thanks for coming on Hack. Thanks, Dave. What are the health risks of asbestos exposure? How dangerous is it? There are a number of diseases that asbestos can cause. We know it's a cause of these diseases. So there's a, a, a few cancers. Mesothelioma is well known. That's very specific to asbestos. That's a, a cancer of, of the lining of the lungs and, and of the abdomen, and mostly of the lungs. Uh, it can also cause lung cancer, it can cause laryngeal cancer, it can cause ovarian cancer, and it's been associated with a couple of other cancers. Then, of course, there's asbestosis. It itself isn't a cancer. It's a, a scarring and thickening of the lung tissue. It makes it very hard to breathe. Can you explain how asbestos affects the body? Inhalation is the main route of exposure that can cause damage. So the fibres, because of the way they are, the geometry of those fibres, they're very small, they're long, they're thin, and they can get deep into the lungs. They can pierce through the alveolar sac, so that's the air sacs we have, and they can pierce into that lining of the lung. And are there different types of asbestos that are riskier, more dangerous? Like if we compare what has been found in this mulch, for example, at different sites across Sydney to what might be found in buildings? There are different asbestos fibres. There are uh, six types of fibres. The main ones we've used uh, that have been commercially are are blue asbestos, chrysidolite, brown asbestos, amosite and chrysotile, which is the white asbestos. Uh, and, and the chrysotile has been the main fibre type used in all materials. They do have different toxicities. The important thing is they can all cause cancer. They can all cause asbestosis. When it comes to what you're finding in, in the mulch, so the mulch, what you find in the mulch, quite often my understanding of it is, is fragments of bonded asbestos. So bonded asbestos means it's those fibres that have been bonded in a cement matrix. So they are strongly held in that matrix and they'll only release when that's damaged. So it is exactly the same as as what you're getting in buildings. It's just sort of fragments of that. 
The other term people might hear is friable. So friable just means that very easily to uh, crumble or get to dust so that those fibres are released more easily. So the risk comes from the ease of inhaling it. So you pick up a asbestos fragment of bonded asbestos, the chance of a fibre coming from that is slim. You start playing around with friable, asbestos fibres can get into the air. What should you do if you've been exposed to asbestos? Uh, mostly not worry, which sounds funny after I've just talked about all those diseases. Uh, there are no tests for as- asbestos exposure or your chance of asbestos-related disease. So there's no point going to a doctor. They won't be able to tell you. There's two things with asbestos. One is, uh, you know, your risk of exposure and then how much exposure you have and then the risk of disease. So like I said, most diseases occurred in high-risk, high-exposure industries. There is uh, evidence of disease from low exposures. We don't know what those exposures were. So, for example, if uh, somebody said uh, they've got a mesothelioma, the only thing they can remember is that they were in a house when renovation was happening and there was asbestos there. We don't know what that level of exposure is. We don't even know if that's the only exposure they have. And that's why we talk about no known safe threshold. So generally, going back to your question, Dave, about what should people do, from those low-level exposures, if you've had these exposures either through renovation or in this situation now with the mulch, you know, worried because you were playing around the mulch, your child was playing around in the mulch, the amount of exposure you have puts you at a very low chance of getting disease. So the important thing is not to then spend the next 20, 30, 40 years worrying about it. In terms of awareness in the community, Peter, I mean, there were huge uh, awareness campaigns decades ago to make sure the public knew how dangerous asbestos is and maybe younger Australians aren't fully aware of what the risks are, even though they could be coming into contact with it if it's renovating a house, even living in a rental property. Yeah, great question, Dave. It, it is true and there is evidence from surveys that uh, younger people are less aware that they are aware that asbestos is dangerous of sorts. They are less aware of where it would be. So even though the risk is low, the most important message we say is to be aware of it. Well, just don't go dealing with asbestos products because we can't ever tell anyone who is at the greater risk of doing it. Obviously, the risk comes with exposure, but some people with that exposure get disease. Most don't. You know, and you don't want to be an unlucky, unlucky person with that. So we generally say if, you, if your house is built before the year 1990, there's a reasonable chance or a high chance there'll be some asbestos products in there. You should check that out before you do any renovation, before you drill into any walls, before you even the backing of wet areas, there's backing board with asbestos, the eaves. So really make sure that you find out if a product is an asbestos containing product before you do any work on it. Well, it's very good advice. Uh, Definitely a lot of people more interested in the last few weeks with everything we've seen in New South Wales. Uh, We appreciate your take, Peter Franklin, uh, the Director of Occupational Respiratory Epidemiology at the Uni of WA. Thank you very much for joining us on Hack. Okay, no problems. Thanks, Dave. We've got some messages on the text line. Someone says, as a hazardous materials consultant and hygienist that works with asbestos daily, asbestos-containing mulch is super hard to deal with and testing is a nightmare. Yeah, lots of thoughts on that one. Time to move on, though. Hack. I've uh, borrowed money, stolen money, not paid money back to pump. On Triple J. 
Have you ever found yourself in a bad spot with gambling? You thought it was in check, it was just something fun you'd do every now and then, but then it became an addiction. And in no time, you were losing serious money. This is the case for a lot of young Australians. And in the last few years, there's been a bigger push to raise awareness of gambling addiction in society. Six months ago, you might remember the government launched this thing called BetStop. It's basically where people can sign up voluntarily to block themselves from accessing online gambling apps. And about 18,000 people have already signed up, some banning themselves for life. Do you know someone who's done this? Maybe you did it yourself. Signed yourself up to this register. Has it helped? What kind of impact has it had? You can message in 0439757555. Ariana Lucente has more. Ready to go. And they're racing. And Salcom stood there again. Have you heard of something called BetStop? It's a government register that was set up in August last year where people can sign up to block themselves from accessing online gambling services. It's basically designed to help people struggling with problem gambling or addiction. In the first six months since the register has been around, more than 18,000 people have signed up. This is an incredible take-up and shows that uh, many people have welcomed the opportunity to uh, have this intervention. That's Social Services Minister Amanda Rishworth. And yes, the minimum period to block yourself from making bets or opening accounts online is three months. More than 16,000 people have stayed on the register for longer than the three months, and about a third have signed up for a lifetime ban. Many people are using this not as just a short-term option, but a longer-term option. So to uh, see people embrace BetStop and and continue to use it for uh, not just the minimum period, but for a much longer period of time um, is very encouraging. What's interesting is that Australians under 40 make up the bulk of those numbers. So what does this say about young people's relationship with gambling? We do know that particularly uh, online gambling is quite popular um, with younger uh, participants, particularly younger males. And so I think it is really reassuring that um, younger people uh, are not ignoring uh, the potential problems and financial hardship that online betting can have. BetStop isn't the only thing the government is doing to curb gambling. Credit cards are also banned for online gambling, and there's now more detailed taglines on gambling advertising. What are you really gambling with? Imagine what you could be buying instead. You win some, you lose more. But there are still demands for a complete ban on all gambling ads. Last year, there was an inquiry into online gambling and a parliamentary committee made 31 recommendations. It was led by a Labor MP, Peter Murphy, who sadly passed away in December. She had made campaigning against the harms of gambling a key issue. We like to be the best in the world in Australia. Well, Australians outspend the citizens of every other country on online gambling. The committee called for a phased ban on all forms of advertising for online gambling over three years and better resources for young people to understand gambling harm. The government is still considering those recommendations. If the status quo on online gambling regulation, including but certainly not limited to advertising, was to continue, Australians will continue to lose more. More money, more relationships, more love of sport for the game rather than for the odds. 
According to industry data, Australians gamble more online than any other country in the world, around 20% more than any other nation. In the meantime, AFL team the Greater Western Sydney Giants is under fire for signing a sponsorship deal with gambling company Tabcorp. The Giants did a deal with the ACT government to play some of their home games in Canberra. The ACT's Attorney General, Shane Rattenbury, is out today saying the Tabcorp deal is deeply disappointing. He also reckons the gambling industry's targeting of young men is insidious. Hack on Triple J. Ariana Lucente there. We've got messages coming through. Someone says there needs to be better education on how to talk to your mates about gambling problems. I've watched many of my mates gamble their wages away, especially when we're in our teens, and I didn't know how to talk to them about it. It's definitely a big issue that we hear a lot about. There's still a lot of stigma around this. People don't want to admit to their friends that they might have a problem. I want to get into this gambling issue with young Australians a bit more now. Louise Francis is a gambling researcher from Curtin University and looks into marketing and advertising around gambling for young people specifically. She's with us now. G'day, Louise. Thanks for coming on Hack. Hi, David. Great to be here. More than 18,000 people have signed up for BetStop. Uh, most of them, we've heard, are under the age of 40. I'm wondering, is that a, is that a good result, uh, a big amount, more than you were expecting? I think um, it's great that people have signed on to this initiative and we do know, and as you said in the opening, there's, there is a stigma attached and people are, are scared to come forward. But I would suggest if, if we've got people signing up for this, they're already at... Uh, at high risk of harm and they've already been in a situation where they're losing a lot of money, they're they're impacting their family and friendships and, and things are starting to go terribly wrong for them. So they're saying self-exclusion is where I'm, where I'm at now. So it's taken them a lot to get to this point. And you did say that more than the majority are under 40. It's actually under 30 Um there's about 51% that are under 30 that are signing up to this program, which is quite alarming that we've got so many young people that feel they're at harm from gambling. It's full on. And I mean, even, you know, through people I know, uh, I've had friends who their partner have had massive gambling problems, addictions, and they haven't known for years they've hidden it. And it's just been such a devastating thing that's that's caused a lot of issues. Can you spell out, Louise, how big of an issue gambling is specifically for young Australians? Um, yeah, so what we're seeing, you know, we've specifically focused on um, young Australians in West Australia and their exposure to gambling, advertising and marketing. And while we've looked at a, a small cohort, it's still interesting to to hear from them about how they've been exposed. So we're talking about um, a particular young group of 16 to 17 year olds, and they're talking about um, talking about gambling at school and until they, you know, joined our project, they, I don't think they realised how much it was just part of the conversation at school. Um, we've heard from young people talking about their mates betting on their um, results for assignments to see who's going to get the, you know, the, the top mark. So that's how normalised betting has become. So, yes, there's a focus on sport and we know that young people are really um, into their sport and watching a variety of sport and that gambling is really um, a normalised practice within sport, but it's gone into other aspects of their life and that's really concerning. And we know 
that they do, um, while ads aren't targeted to, to young people specifically, or they, they shouldn't be, we know that they are exposed to it. And so they do see the um, the fun side of the memes and the jokes that are coming up on social media, and they're attracted to that. And you mentioned um, the GWS signing this sponsorship, and what's concerning about that is they might not have sponsorship on the um, player jumpers, but they're talking about creating content. So Tab Corp know that that's where um, the young people are attracted to, the content and the influences and the sports influences, and that's what they're targeting with this. Um, it seems um, that's what they're targeting with this sponsorship. As we heard before, there was this parliamentary committee, Louise, calling for all gambling advertising to be banned. What are the issues around gambling advertising, the biggest issues that you see? Uh, Well, what we see is that it's a range of um, tactics that are used by gambling companies in the industry. It's about um, sports advertising and marketing, so what we might see on or hear on radio and see on television, but it's also social marketing, social media marketing, which is a big um, pull as well. It's these sponsorships. So the issue is that the exposure is there to young people. So while they might not be um, gambling yet because they're not at the legal age, but we have heard evidence recently of of a lot of young people signing up to gambling help because they're seeking um, assistance with their, their issues. So while young people might not be gambling yet, they are the gamblers of the future. And I think the the industry understand that and they're, they're looking at ways that they can entice young people, they can normalise it through all this advertising um, and all this marketing, all this sponsorship, and that's what's getting um, and hooking into young people. Do they think it's just normal part of... of um, of their life and their future life is, is 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 gambling, and I think if we turn to the online inquiry and the um, recent um, federal government submissions, you know the the government there's 31 recommendations. Advertising is a huge part of that, and marketing and promotion. There has been an expectation that they'll do a phased approach three years, but the federal government haven't actually responded um, to that report and it's been nearly eight months. So uh, they really need to seriously think about, you know, the long-term implications of not responding quickly. So in that eight months, a lot of people have taken up gambling. A lot of people have been hurt by gambling. Well, we'll definitely be keeping on top of it and chasing the government up because people are waiting for this response. We appreciate your insight into this. Louise Francis, Gambling Researcher from Curtin University. Thank you very much for joining us on HARC. Thanks, David. We've got some messages coming through, people with their experiences. Will says, I'd lost all of my savings from gambling. I signed up to BetStop for three months. Once my three months uh, were up, I went back to my same habits. I've now done a lifetime ban as my habit and my bank account weren't quite right. I highly recommend signing onto this. It'll change your mental health. That's Will's opinion. Somebody else says, I was a gambling addict for a long time, used canine web protection on my phone, which wouldn't allow me to access any gambling websites on my phone, but I found a way around it pretty quickly. Hey, just to remind everyone, there is a national gambling helpline. It's on one 858 
858. You can go there anytime. And remember, Lifeline is always there as well. 13 11 14. Hack. Not really having to worry about any adult stuff like money. The freedom of a kid, that's what I'll miss most. On Triple J. Yeah, that time of year when unis and TAFEs are kicking off, O-Week celebrations, it's all happening. If you finished high school last year, it is a pretty huge time right now for you. And even if that was you years ago, you'll remember that feeling of leaving behind the security blanket of school, maybe the first time you're leaving your hometown for uni or a new job or a gap year. Well, we've been asking some young people around the country about what is going through their head at this life-changing time. Here's WA reporter Emily Smith with the story. For a lot of us, leaving high school puts us in this awkward space between childhood and adulthood. But what is a grown-up and how do you know when you are one? My name is Soraya Hardy and I'm from Port Lincoln, Hi, South Australia. Hi, my name's Australia, Jacob Lucia. And I'm, I'm 18, 18 years, years old. old and I'm from Toowoomba. And I live in Port Lincoln, South Australia. I'm downtown Sunny Estrance. They're from all around regional Australia, but they have one thing in common. 2024 is their first year out of school. As they look towards a whole year of firsts, we've asked them to let us in on their hopes and fears. Um, I'm studying exercise and sports science. Going to be studying law. Uh, I work at Macca's, uh, Toowoomba City. I've just been there having a good time, honestly. So my family and I hail from Philippines. So I've been spending my summer mostly with my family, trying to spend as much time with them as possible before I move to Adelaide for uni. And while it's a super exciting time, there's a whole lot to worry about too. We're in a cost of living and housing crisis. And for a lot of these regional students, a life change might mean leaving behind their home home, friends and jobs. What do you worry about? I worry about the youth in Leonora. I probably overthink a lot about my fitness. Right now I'm just worried about cost of living. How a country kid like me might fit in enough in the city. I worry about the future and everything I've done in high school, if it matters. I worry about not taking all the opportunities that I'm given. Regret is worse than failure to me. Like. I want to try. And why am I, why am I nearly crying? I'm sorry. <laughs> when you're little, you're asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? But when does the growing up actually happen? I was curious to find out how adult school leavers feel in this day and age. When did you first feel like a grown up? Sometimes I feel like a grown up, sometimes, sometimes not really. Um, but I suppose the first time that I felt like a grown-up would be enrolling for my topics at uni and I realised this is happening. I'm going to have to live by myself. Um, yeah, not being surrounded by my family. So, yeah. Mm, I definitely still don't feel like a grown-up. Uh, the first time I felt like a grown-up I'm assuming it's going to be next year because it hasn't happened yet. When I started to get my licence. But I still feel like a bit of a kid trying to navigate the adult world. When I turned 18 and realised how scary the world can be when you're all by yourself and alone. And saying goodbye to childhood, it's a huge deal. And interestingly, one word came up more than anything else. I would definitely miss the freedom. Definitely just the freedom of it. And I think the freedom that I had there is something that I will definitely be grateful for forever. What do you think you'll miss about being a kid? The energy I probably had as a younger kid. To have that energy again would be absolutely, absolutely awesome. Being able to just 
stay at home, do whatever. The lack of accountability, if I'm honest. Probably just the simplicity of life. Whether it's moving away from family, trying to do an external course, or sticking with work, it's a scary but exciting time for these country kids, the graduating class of 23. I had just one last question for them, though. What would you tell your 10-year-old self? Slow down a bit. Just take things a bit slower. Don't listen to other people, because obviously going into the agricultural industry, because it's a male-dominated field, they don't really encourage it as much. So, yeah, just do what you love and enjoy it. My 10-year-old self would have been very new to Australia. And, yeah, looking back on that journey, it's, it's made me a bit emotional. <laughs> But um, if there's one thing that I'm going to say to my 10-year-old self, it would be to stay true to yourself. The right people will come to you and you will really find your place. You're listening to Hack on Triple J. Emily Smith with that story. So good to hear from all kinds of young Australians across the country about what they're feeling at this weird time when you finish high school and you don't know what's next and you're excited, but you're nervous. Also got a lot of people responding to the gambling story we did on this podcast as well. And the news that a lot of young Australians are signing up to this register to ban themselves from gambling for life even or up to three months. Uh, One person here says gambling is a massive problem in society. It needs to be sorted out. Another person says... I've never had a problem with gambling myself, don't like it, but we need more action. We need to see governments doing something about it. Definitely sentiments held by a lot of people. That is all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. 